But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that every one who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We ask that Christ would shine on us this morning. That your word would expose us. That our faith this morning would be tested and tried. And that our hearts would be found wanting for something more than what this world offers us. We pray this asking for your faithfulness, for your word to take root. Amen. We've been in this letter written to the Ephesians, and I think it's good to be redundant and to be reminded on how this letter is structured. If we were to take a look at this letter, we would see that it's split right in half. Chapters 1 through 3, we could label as gospel doctrine. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul is explicitly again and again revealing the mystery of the gospel to this church. He is reminding them of what the Father has done what the Son has accomplished, and now what the Spirit does. Essentially, when we read chapters 1 through 3, and we get to the end of chapter 3, what we could kind of head this is, Paul is telling the church, believe this. Believe this truth. Believe in Jesus. Believe in your identity. Believe. But as soon as we then get to the second half, chapters 4 through 6, 
there's a stark change that takes place. We go from gospel doctrine in chapters 1 through 3 to gospel living in chapters 4 through 6. We get no further than the second verse, and Paul is already calling the Christians of Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called to. Chapters 4 through 6 is gospel living. We could head these chapters as walk like this. So once you believe this, Paul says, walk like this. Do this. Trust this. Do this. And we saw last week the reason why we walk out this faith. What motivates our faith. And that is love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. This week, what we are seeing, what this passage is speaking to is, I think, an important issue for the Christian. It's an important issue for society. That is identity. Identity. From a young age, we all get an identity placed on us in some type of way or another, don't we? We get a name. We're born into an ethnicity. We get labeled as relaxed babies or sensitive babies or angry babies or happy babies. And as we continue to mature and grow, we get other identities placed on us. You can't think of a high school without thinking of different types of cliques and groups. The athletes sit over there. The nerds sit over there. The hicks sit over there. The goths sit over there. Identities play an important part in a person's life, don't they? Identities give people purpose. But identities can also be crushing to people. Because if you place your identity within this world, then at any moment that identity can collapse in on itself. And you are left wondering, who am I? What's this place all about what brings meaning to my life. This is one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, that is, as Christians, we have a new identity. We have a new identity that we've been called now to walk in. Do you understand that when you trust in Christ, you are born again? You're not given a proverbial second chance. You are a completely new creature, as we looked at this morning for our call to worship. You are a brand new person with new affections and new desires. You are not your old self anymore, but you are distinctly different. You're new 
You have a different identity that you've been given. And yet, as we still walk as Christians, we have competing identities that scratch and claw for our heart. These identities are fed to us in the things that we watch. The news that we turn on. The people we follow on social media. The TikToks that fill us. We have competing identities longing to get a hold of our heart. And Paul knew this very well for this church. In fact, the competing identities that were scratching at the church in Ephesus are still the same identities that scratch at our hearts in the 21st century. The sexual revolution of the 50s and 60s compares nothing to what was taking place in Rome. And that's why when you read Paul's letters that he writes, you will normally read him writing something along the lines of not giving in to sexual temptation or not giving in to covetousness or not giving in to a vulgar way of speaking to people. And that's what we see in verses 3-6. through We see Christianity and the world's identity at play. We see those who understand the Gospel but haven't been transformed by the Gospel haven't experienced the gospel, and are able to talk the talk, and yet their heart is still prone to identify with the world's ways. We see in the beginning of this passage this morning that Paul calls them uh, two ways. He, He says, these things should not be named among you, and that they are out of place for you. Now, the temptation as we come to this might be to become very uh, legalistic. The temptation might be to look at this and say, then what this means is we need to separate ourselves. We need to find a piece of land in northern Wisconsin out in the country, and we need to separate ourselves so that way the world doesn't stain us and ruin us. If it's not supposed to be named among us, if this type of thing is out of place for us, then it shouldn't be around us. No, this isn't what Paul is talking about. He's, he's, he's helping us understand what Jesus means by being in the world, but not of the world. We all have a past. We all have imperfections and impurities that once marked our lives. What Paul and who Paul is speaking to this morning is the people who profess to be Christians and yet continue to practice as if the gospel has never changed their hearts. And he lists three different practices. The first is sexual immorality or impurity. The second is covetousness, or what we could say is the love of money and possessions. And the third that he talks to us about is vulgar talk. He's saying these things should not characterize your life anymore if you are in Christ. 
He's calling the church to live holy and blameless, just as the Father has chosen us to live. He has chosen us and adopted us to live a holy and blameless life. And so now Paul is the messenger calling the church to live holy, to live blameless, to live not at a moral standard, but live in Christ. And so he calls out these popular lifestyles. Sexual immorality and impurity runs the gamut. Let us not be swayed by the popular political talks of the day and just assume that who Paul is talking about here is the LGBTQ plus community. Let us understand that what Paul means here by sexual immorality and impurity is all of it. He's talking about premarital sex. He's speaking to the adulterer. He is speaking to the homosexual. He is speaking to the pornography user. He is saying that none of these things should be named among you. None of them. Because your identity is now rooted in something else. You walk in a different way. The same goes for the love of money and possessions, which this may be one of the most respectable American Christian sins of our day. We are able to phrase covetousness as setting goals and wanting a better future or retirement for ourselves. We're so easily able to gloss over the reality of what covetous actually says about what we believe in God. We look at this one covetousness and we say, covetousness doesn't hurt anybody. I'm just trying to be a good steward. All the while not realizing that what covetousness actually says about what we believe in God is that we don't trust that God can provide what we need. We don't trust that God has provided what we needed. We aren't content in what God has given us. And so we, we mask our desire to go and get more possessions and more money because... It's very acceptable in the church. And the next one that Paul then speaks to is vulgar talk. Look with me actually what Paul says about this one. Let no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. These are out of place. This style of speech, this type of, let's just say, locker room talk, is not something that should characterize the conversation of a Christian. Instead, the, the Christian should be marked by thankfulness. Paul is specifically naming these things and he is telling us that they should not be named among you. 
These are out of place for the Christian. Why shouldn't these be named among us? Why are these out of place for us? Verses 5 and 6, Paul shows us why. He gives us a serious warning. The serious warning is that when we practice these things, when we claim the title Christian, when we claim that Jesus is my Savior and yet leave the Lordship part behind me, what we are doing is we are revealing the idols that are in our hearts. This is what Paul says. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater. When you continue to practice these sins again and again and again with no remorse or no sense of change, what is taking place is idols are being revealed. What is primary in your heart? And, and I'm not talking about the idol of sex or the idol of money or the idol of speech. Those are surface level things. Within idols, there are deeper heart issues like approval or comfort or power or control. Those are the four main idols that rule our hearts and cause us to chase after certain sins. Are you looking for approval? Maybe the reason why you continue to go after another person and desire more sexual pleasure is because you're seeking approval that you don't believe that you have in your Heavenly Father. Can you just not help but desire more money? You look on Instagram or TikTok and your heart desires to have what that person has. You want the new phone or you want that next vacation or you want a newer car or fancier clothes. It's not that you just idolize those things. It's that you want some type of control in your life. You want a stability in your life. And what you say about God is that He is not in control. Paul is warning us and he is telling us that when we are making a practice of these things and when they are named among us, it is revealing our idols. And this is the warning, is that, that our idols are being exposed. But he goes on further to say is that making a, a practice of sin keeps us from the kingdom. So as we are not truly worshiping God, we may acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior, but Lord, let's put that behind. We acknowledge that we don't truly trust in Christ. Instead, we like the theory of Jesus. We like the theory of being saved. We like the theory of heaven. 
but our hearts haven't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, which keeps us from the kingdom. You cannot have two gods. You cannot have God of this universe and the God of your own choosing. And this is what Paul is warning about because if that is you, no matter how much you may justify your sin, no matter how much you may talk about your sin, and no matter how much you may put a fence around the God that you have, your words will not last. The wrath of God, as Paul says, is still on you. Let no one deceive you, he says, with empty words. For because these things, the wrath of God, comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is where it is. These are the people that Paul is talking about. Those who love the idea that Jesus saves from sins, but do not want to submit their whole being to Jesus and follow Jesus and trust that Jesus is better than any identity that this world places on us. Let me tell you from experience this morning that if your identity is in of this world, it will leave you continuing to want more. And at some point, you will be faced with the reality that that identity that you have will not last. That idol that you have put on a pedestal will crumble and be crushed. It doesn't matter if it's the popular and the approved thing of the day. What Paul is doing is he's warning the church of living this double life, wanting Christ and the benefits of Christ, but not wanting to submit to Christ, even if it means rejecting yourself. Rejecting the urges and pleasures in your own heart. Why does this matter? Why would Paul go through this length of trying to warn this congregation about this? Verses 7-14 through show us that our identity is in the Lord Jesus. There is no better place for a person to find themselves than in Christ. You are found in a new identity, not your old one. And we see this in verses 7 through 10. We see, therefore, do not become partners with them. What Paul is saying here is, is you should be in the world, don't be of the world. He's, he's not saying, you see that sinner over there? Don't talk with them. They might rub off some sin on you and then that won't be a good thing. He's saying don't practice the things of this world. You, if you claim Christ, you should not look like one of them. You should look distinct. You should look different. There should be a different flavor about you. You were once dark. This is who you once were. This is who I once was. Do you not remember that we were spiritually dead? Do you remember what it was like being spiritually dead? Being hopeless? Looking to whatever you could 
to grasp onto, to bring you significance, to bring you meaning, to bring understanding to why you live and breathe. And now, being in Christ, you understand, I was born to worship God. Do you remember what it was like to be in darkness? This is what Paul is reminding them, is saying that this was once you. You once walked according to the passions of your flesh. This is who you were in darkness, but you are no longer this way. Instead, you are now in the light. You are in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things that characterized you, all of that sin that ruined your life and drug you down further and further and wrapped its cruel tentacles around your heart, no longer characterizes you. You are in the light. You have received the righteousness of Christ. Your sin, it was so immense, it was so much, and the wrath of God was on you, but Christ paid for your sins. Christ died for your freedom. Christ has brought you in the light. It's not your own works. It's not your good effort. Christ did it. He has freed you. He has brought you out of darkness and has now placed you in God's marvelous light. You are in the Lord. You are what theologians say, you are unified with Christ. That means that on your profession of faith in Jesus, you couldn't be any more justified, any more right with God, and Christ couldn't be any more closer to you at this very moment. There is nothing the Christian can do to either cause Christ to go further from him or to come closer. Christ is so dearly close to you at this very moment. Why is that? Because we belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. You are not your own. And because of that, we have a new identity. We we don't need to look like the world. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ. And so you no longer have to identify with the world, but you identify with what Christ says you are and how He calls you to live. This is why Paul says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's because there are some things in Scripture that are very cut and dry, very easy to follow, very easy to obey, but there are other things that are very gray. And so we try our best to be as faithful as possible to do what is pleasing to the Lord, not pleasing to what the world says should please them, but what pleases the world or the, the Lord. What's the outcome then when we live in such a way like this? We live evangelistically. This is what verses 11 through 14 teach us. Is that we live holy, we live blameless, we live distinct to evangelize to the world. To show them the greatness of God. The glory of God. We bring 
light to darkness. As Jesus says, we are now a city on a hill brightly shining for all to see. We are to be distinct. We are to be salt. We are to taste different, look different. People are to notice that there's something different about us. Because as we walk in the light, the light then exposes the darkness. You, through your words and deeds and actions, bring light to the dark world. You actually bring light when you walk in holiness and godliness to your workplace. To your family members. To your favorite restaurant or coffee shop. To the school that you work at. to your grandchildren. Your new identity allows you to evangelize, to bring hope to a hopeless world. We are to walk in this way because our identity is so rooted in Jesus. I've heard by many. There have been so many people that have said, we live in dark times. We live in times that are so confusing. We live in times where it's just, there's nothing that's ever been like this. And, and I look at that and I say, the church, the church, you, you, Christians, we were built for this moment. We were built to stick out. We were built to be different. We were built for this very moment in history. We don't have to worry about the world going crazy. We don't have to worry about the world going darker because if we are in Christ, then we will bring light to this world. So there's no sense of complaining about it. That should motivate us all the more to bring light into this world. So church, let's stop complaining about what's going on and let's start praying and let's start acting like we have the light in us because we do. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity in Christ is what drives our lives and action. So if you are in Christ, this is what it then looks like. If you are in Christ and the light is in you, then that should drive you and motivate you to walk in such a way that you are different from society whether it's at your work, with your family, you should stick out. You should be different. When you're having an interaction with somebody at the gas station, when you're talking with a next-door neighbor, when somebody does something to offend you in such a way that maybe it would be right and maybe you could justify why you should be angry at them but you respond in such a way that it is surprising to them that you would respond that way. 
our identity in Christ motivates us and shows us how we should live, not what the world says. Because our identity in Christ acts as a beacon of hope for those who are lost and those who need to be awakened. And most importantly, it's because when we walk in our identity as Christians, when we are rooted in Christ, it shows God's glory. It shows that God is powerful enough to be trusted. It shows that even when I have desires, that it's still worth it. It's still worth it to honor and obey and trust our God rather than what my flesh is telling is better. Let's pray. Father, help us to walk as children in the light. Help us to put off our old selves and to walk in the newness of light. Help us to not trust in our own works, but but to be found in your Son, Jesus. Help us to confess and to repent if we need to. God, lead us to fear your name above every name. Amen.